Hi, Grace. We have a special treat. Our friend, Eric Marsh, is going to be preaching this morning. Um, I just wanted to say a few words about Eric. Now, a lot of you know who Eric Marsh is. Some of you may not. Um, and I do want to say hello to all of you who are here, but also those who are at home. Uh, so Eric is, he was on staff here for many years, actually. He was, we worked together for a long time. We played bocce together at lunch quite a lot. Um, and that's where a lot of this Holy Spirit's work took place in our, I, you think I'm joking? No, those conversations were pivotal, uh, I think for both of us, but surely for me. Um, Eric is the executive pastor at Parkcrest Church, which is just down the road. He's also the director of the Long Beach Church Collective, which is a really incredible thing here in Long Beach. Um, Eric's heart really is to help the church come together collectively and really discover and imagine ways that the church can work together to bear witness to Jesus in the city. Uh, Long Beach has a really unique thing um, with the churches here. We really want to work together. We want to share resources. We want to do whatever we can in the same space so that the city knows what Jesus is like because of the unity that's created. Eric Marsh is a big reason why that is the case. Uh, and another thing about Eric is his heart ultimately is to follow Jesus, to be faithful to Jesus, and to love well. Uh, so at the heart of who Eric is, is he's a friend. He's my friend, he's your friend, he's our friend. I was thinking about Eric, and I was thinking about Mark 2, uh, the first uh, sort of passage in, in the chapter, in chapter 2 of Mark. There's this moment when there's this man who's paralyzed can't get to Jesus to be healed, and so there are friends who, who find a way. They actually, they basically tear through the roof and they lower this man so that this man can be, can be before Jesus. And Jesus heals this man on, on the part of the faith of the people who help them get in front of Jesus. Eric is one of those friends who helps people get in front of Jesus so that they can be healed. So Eric Marsh, thank you for being that friend. I'd love for you to come up here so I can pray for you as you preach. Lord God, thank you for Eric. Thank you for his friendship. Thank you for his ministry. Thank you for the ways that you've called him to be who he is and that his living out of that calling, living out of himself and who you've made him to be has been a blessing to us, to Long Beach, to wherever you have him. God, I ask that you would speak through him to us. I pray that you'd help us as your people to hear you are a God who speaks we are a people who listen. God, what you've given him to say, I ask that you'd give him the, the power, the authority that's from you to speak what you've given, but also help us to trust so that we might receive the good gifts that you have. So thank you for our friend, Eric. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. And I beat him most bocce games. Let that be said for the record since we're recording it. Um, they can't hear you on the screen, Daniel. Daniel said, you're wise. So my name's Eric, and it is just a pure joy to be here today. Um, Natter, hello. Um, 
It's just a gift. My wife and I got married here. We had all of our children at Memorial, but while we were here, and uh, this week marks 25 years of ministry of which I began here. So it's a deep honor and a joy to be here with you. Um, for those of you who are not Facebook friends with me, a quick update on my family. Uh, 60% of our children are taller than Sarah. 40% of them are taller than me. Caleb is away at college, and all the rest of them are accelerating rapidly to join him. Um, they're all doing well. They're all doing really well. Um, Hannah goes to school here at IVA, and Sarah teaches here part-time. I want to I just give a word to the church. I am so deeply proud of you. You, you, you have really great staff. Beth and Daniel are fantastic. Um, that's worth a clap. I think Will is an extraordinary addition to your team. Um, but I want to I say this, that the church is not them. The church is you. The church is the body of Christ embodied here at Long Beach Grace. And I want to say that I'm even more proud of who this church is because I see and hear stories every week about the way that the Lord is working through you. And my, if I can give you a word that's more important than my sermon, I want to just say, well done. Keep going. Keep going. God is alive and work in your families, in your small groups, in this church, and I'm deeply proud to have been a pastor here at Long Beach Grace. So, there was going to be somebody else who was going to speak, but COVID prohibited him from coming, so Daniel asked if I could speak, and I said no, and then I said yes, so here we are. <laughs> um, it is really good to be here, and I am just, yeah, I, for those of you who, whom I have not yet met, I these are my favorite people. So if you're just coming to know Grace, enough gushing, but I just, I really think highly of this community and I'm deeply grateful. So we're going to look at a passage in Matthew and Michelle, thank you for reading it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read it again. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, as I was thinking about this prayer, I was thinking a couple things. Number one, everybody in this room has heard this prayer. All of you have heard it preached more than once. This is not going to be something that's going to be new and tricky or flashy. What hopefully I'm, I, I am able to bring today is I'm hope, I hope I'm able to, to give you an encouragement, an encouragement in what... I have begun to think is, if you were to think of, G, you know, for those of you that are old enough to remember records, or even CDs, pre-Spotify, this prayer, I believe, is a little bit like Jesus' greatest hits on his, his greatest hit on the album of greatest hits. The Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus says, here's the way I want you to live. This is what the kingdom of God should look like. This prayer in the middle of it is, here's how you would convene with your father. This is an important text. This is a text we should come back and should continue to instruct us. This is how you should pray. And I think most of us do not intuitively know how to pray. We used to know how to pray, but we forget how to pray. 
My mom got cancer last year. She had stage four ovarian cancer when she found out. And I found out as when, 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 when sickness or tragedy hits a family in which there's a pastor, you're called upon to be the one to pray. And I realized that I had, was, I had forgotten how to pray. I used to know how to pray. I was meeting with a pastor this week whose son was diagnosed with brain cancer at age two. For the last three years, he's had chemo and radiation, and he's gone through it. And the most surprising thing in my conversation with this local pastor was that his son had not forgotten how to pray. His son was not overwhelmed by fear because his son lived every life day by day by day because that's what two-year-olds do. They wake up, and it's a wondrous new world. And the pastor said, I'm learning how to pray from my son. So even before I start addressing the mommies and daddies and the grandmas and grandpas, boys and girls who are with us. First of all, I'm really glad you're with us. Hi, Jonah. Jonah is my nephew. Hi, Ruthie. They stayed a whole week at our house while their parents were gone because we got COVID and they had to stay with Uncle Eric. Boys and girls in this room, you have a lot to teach your mommy and daddy about prayer. When I was a youth pastor, I realized when I was trying to get my staff here at Grace to pray, I realized they didn't know how to pray. And then I had to admit, I don't know how to pray. I, I've got sermons on prayer. I can figure it out, but I really didn't know how to pray, pray. And I think this text is a good reminder that we're in good company if we don't know how to pray. The people who are closest to Jesus were right there, and he said, no, no, you don't know how to pray. Here's how you pray. Apprentices, disciples, those who want to follow me, use this model, Jesus is saying. The prayer begins with this, our Father. We have a good Father. We have a trustworthy Father. A great English translation of the word that Jesus has used is Daddy. We have a trustable Daddy. The good father who wants us to have a good life, the best and the full life, invites us to have a relationship with him. And some of you don't have a good father. For some of you, when you hear this text, there's a slight recoiling. But we do have a good father. We have a father who loves us and wants the best for us. That's how this prayer begins. The prayer goes on to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when I read this text, I can't help but think of the passage in Zechariah that said, once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a cane because of their age, and the city streets will be filled with boys and girls living there. When the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, children and the elderly are valued citizens of all of life. Neither of them are pushed off to the side. All of them are welcome. Thy kingdom come. The prayer continues, give us this day our daily bread. May we trust our good Father. May we trust Him for our provision, for our daily needs, for our physical needs, for our forgiveness. Some of us every day have to pray this because we have a hard time for believing that God will forgive us for what we've done. For those of you who are young parents, this is absolutely a daily prayer. Forgive me for speaking unkindly right before bedtime. Give us this day our daily bed, bread. 
My contention this morning is that this prayer is about trust. Do we trust God? Do we really trust Him? Do we believe that He has our best and we can trust Him for all of our life? As I thought, I've been thinking about this passage for the last four years intently, and I'll tell you why in just, in just a little bit, but one of the thoughts that I had as I thought about this is I assumed coming into this text that all human beings want to trust or need to trust. Trust each other, okay? So in different periods in which I was struggling with things or Daniel was struggling with things, we would play bocce and that would build up our trust in one another. That we need to trust God, that that has to be something that is, is, is at our core of our being, that we trust the Lord. But as I, as I thought about this passage, before I even go in and talk about trust, I want to name the fact that some people get to the point in their life where they just give up on trusting others or give up on trusting God. And, and the person who was closest to me who got to that position was my grandmother. For the last 15 years of her life, my, my mom's mom got to the point where she just tuned everybody out. She sat and she spent the entire life watching television I'd be in the room with her when she was bedridden and she wouldn't even have the emotional capacity to be with me. She had been wounded and she put her heart in a box and she didn't let anybody have it. No man is an island, but yet some people try to be an island. My word to those of you who find yourself that having that be your default is that if you really want to live, if you really want to experience the life that we see in Matthew 5 through 8, if you really want to experience what it means to trust Jesus, you have to trust others. You have to open yourself up more than my grandmother did and be open to the fact that yes, others can wound you. Yes, we can even be disappointed by God, but you have to be willing to trust. Okay, back to the bread. Why, why does Jesus use this phrase, our daily bread? For those of us that are old enough, I'm just turned 50. For those of us that are my age or a little bit older, um, when we hear the word Kobe, we can actually think of something else besides the Laker star. What can we think of? We think of steak. There's not a teenager in the room right now that when they hear Kobe is thinking of Japanese beef. Everybody who hears the word Kobe, particularly if you live in the greater LA area, you think of what? Kobe Bryant. Kobe no longer has the same meaning that it used to 50 years ago for most people. Or a recent example. Kids, I need your help. Do we talk about Bruno? No, no we do not talk about Bruno. If you didn't know that Disney had this movie in the pipeline and you name your son Bruno about two years ago, you're screwed. <laughs> There's a few people in here looking at me blankly like I have no idea what you're talking about. Ask a six-year-old. Forever, yes, thank you, Encanto. Forever for this generation, no one is going to name their kid Bruno. It would be a death sentence. When we hear the name Bruno from now on, we're going to think, of course, of that movie 
and the deeper family dynamics that they were talking about when we said, when they, then Lynn Manuel wrote, do we talk about Bruno? <laughs> For those of you online, the answer is no. So the same thing, though, is true with the people of God. The Israelites, when they would have heard this prayer, they would have heard this. They would have immediately gone back to the Exodus. The dreaded Egypt, they just escaped, and they're living in the desert, and this good, good father was providing for them every day. Every day when they would wake up, of course, we all know the story, there would be these little bread-like things out, on the, out on, the, on, on the sand, and they would collect them, and it would be enough food for, for them for the day. Of course, if you collected it more than enough, and I actually, I used to make fun of those people with five kids, I would not trust that there would be food the next day. I would want to go ahead and gather more. But immediately for the people of God, when they would hear daily bread, they would think of manna. For most of us, we have no concept of what it's like to not, to have to trust for our food the next day. Most of us, we have more, I was counting, I was counting the last time I, I was preaching on this subject, and I had 15 forms of carb in our, in our kitchen alone. I didn't have to actually go outside and collect manna off our front lawn. But for the history of the church, many people in the history of the church have actually had, this prayer has meant more to them because they've had to actually depend upon God for their daily sustenance. And we don't even have to go back that far. My wife Sarah's grandfather grew up in Armenia during the genocide. And there were times during the harder seasons right before his parents were killed, where he would come back and they would have to go to bed with their kids hungry. For much of the history of the church before 2022, this was a very real prayer with very practical needs. But my argument is this, that even though we have 15 forbs of carbs, or if you're not using carbs, other you know, ways to eat, even though we have that in our house, we, this is still a prayer of trust for us. Like for Israel, we, this is a dependency prayer. So I think there are two different types, two different types, two different ways in which it exposes us. The first way it exposes us is it exposes us when we are not, when we need something, when we are out of control, when we don't have what we need. But it also exposes us in the times in life in which we don't need help, in which we have everything that we think we need and we feel like we're in control. When, we're, when we have need and when we don't have need, when we need help and when we don't think we need help. I want to I talk about this side first. The parts of life where we just know very practically that we need help. See, I, I, confession, I know that I'm getting to these places with my kids when I'm short-tempered, when I get angry. They serve as an indicator light that something is not going on and, I, and I, there's something, some daily bread that I need. It's like a check engine light on my car. I found that I got angry twice this week. Go ahead and ask my kids. I didn't invite them because I wanted to speak honestly to you. But when I am short-tempered, I know there's something that I need, and, and I'm, drawn, I'm, I'm pushed back to this prayer. 
The I need help version of this and the exposure of trust is when we get sick. It's when there's a cancer diagnosis in your family or you get a cancer diagnosis. It exposes our trust. The I need help is a prayer of trust for the attic, the attic like me. It's a daily prayer that we need We need God to sustain us. The I need help side of this prayer is the prayer of lament. One of the reasons I love this community so much is I've been with many of you in death. And when we we lament, we depend upon that, Lord, my daily bread, I need to trust you. The I need help, that this side of that prayer is actually the prayer of the younger brother in the story of the brother who runs away. It's the brother who goes, I, I can't, I'm eating out of a pig trough. I need my daily bread from my father. These are the prayers that are, the daily bread prayer exposes the I need help parts of our life. But there's another side. And this is confession. This is where I live most of the time. It exposes the I don't need help portions of our life. When I, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of my life that I've organized well, and I'm not in daily need. Brothers and sisters, there can be a dark side. There is a dark side to self-sufficiency. There's a dark side. There can be a dark side to competence and having, ranging my life so that I have everything that I need. I begin to believe in my heart that I don't need God. I begin to believe that if I do need him, I really don't need to trust him. Turns out that I'm not alone. In Proverbs 30, we have this text. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? That's my heart when I have too much. I got this. I really don't need help. There was a Bible prof, my favorite Bible professor at Biola, who told the story of radical dependence when he was teaching at a local Christian school, and they were seeing tons of people come to know Jesus, and he was making like $8,000 a year, so they really didn't have enough money. And he was, his dependence on the Lord, he attributed to, you know what? We actually had to be more dependent, and we prayed with more fervency, and the Lord did amazing things. Now, I'm not saying that when you're poor, you're going to get everything, but I am saying there was something in the story of his dependency on the Holy Spirit acting that was shaping of his dependence on Christ. I love it when in a, in a church setting or in a classroom setting, somebody else says, I don't understand or I don't agree. <laughs> we walked out of that classroom, and my friend Julie said, I love those stories about lots of people coming to know Jesus, but I don't want to have to have that much trust. And all of us inside were like, you know, we were like, oh, you know, you know, trust Jesus as we walk off, you know, to the cafeteria. And, but inside, I was with her. I don't want to have that much trust. I don't want to need to have that much trust. I don't want to have to have that much faith. So here are three ways in which I see 
I got this creeping into my life, my kids, my money, and my relationship with the Lord. We have five great kids. Most of you know our kids. Caleb's our eldest. He's 18. Our kids are competent. They're smart. They're kind. They shake hands. and they sh- While they shake your hand, they look you in the eye. And it honestly tempts me to believe that I don't really have to come to the Father for them. When I read through Matthew 5 through 8, I realize I, in my heart, I think they've got it. It's like I shot an arrow and they're heading in the right direction and I don't have to keep praying for them. I don't have to pray that they would be humble, or that they'd be merciful or pure in heart, that they would be peacemakers or have a love for their enemy, that they'd be generous with the poor, that they wouldn't be anxious, that they would love scriptures, the church, and Jesus. When I sit over here and I forget to pray my daily bread, I forget to pray for my children. The first area is my kids. The second area is giving. Again, many of you know my wife, Sarah. She has the spiritual gift of giving. Unfortunately, her husband's a pastor. But every year we give a greater percentage of our income to the church or to God's work. But I actually set my life up so that I don't have to really be generous in my heart. I just figure out more strategic ways to not have it affect my life. Now, we're still being generous. We're still giving into our values, but my heart sometimes goes, ah, I've done enough. I can be over here going, Lord, I don't have to trust my daily bread. The third area, and this is ultimately ironic, is the area I end up saying, I've got enough in my relationship with Jesus. It's incredibly ironic, right? And I don't know if I'm alone, but sometimes I just don't want to have to go and pray tomorrow. I prayed a lot last week. I don't want to have to read my scriptures. I'm 50 years old and I'm throwing a temper tantrum. Here's how I want my daily bread. I want my daily bread in my relationship with Jesus sometimes like I get my bread at Costco. I want to buy four loaves in the double bags, put them in the freezer, and not have to worry about it. Is there anybody else like that? This is my older brother prayer. The irony, of course, is that Jesus doesn't want us because he wants us to feel guilty about it. He loves us. He just wants to spend time with us. It's like my little Naomi. Naomi's nine. She was two when we left here. She just wants to sit in my lap and spend time with me. No, Naomi, we got cuddle time yesterday. No, brothers and sisters. Jesus is like my daughter Naomi. I just want to spend time with you. He chooses me because he loves me. He chooses you because he loves you. I want to finish with two questions. The first question is, how do we grow in trust? I've been thinking a lot more about how do we do the things that we become convicted of rather than spinning circles around the nuances of the things that we've been convinced of theologically. How do we actually grow in following Jesus? How do we, in this case with daily bread, how do we grow in trust? Johanna and um, Brandon invited me to come and speak to some youth pastors a couple weeks ago. 
And there was a guy there who doesn't, he's not on staff here, but he just asserted very, I talked about humility and, and he, he said, my plan is to grow in humility. And my gentle question, question back to him was, how are you going to grow in humility? Because I've been around human beings long enough, especially me, that is not our natural bent is to grow in humility. I think similarly, our natural bent is not to grow in trust. So how do we grow in trust? I want to give you two things that have worked in my life. The first thing is to improvise on this prayer. A pastor in the Midwest named Brian Zond taught me this. So, so here's how it works. So if you have your Bible, just take a look at the prayer. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to improvise it. So, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we literally just pray that prayer. And then we improvise. Father, hallowed be your name. I don't feel that way this morning. But I want to. Your kingdom come on it. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, Brandon, I'm going to go a little bit longer. It's not the, I gave him a false cue. My fault, not his. (laughs) He was just going to be back up here for a long time looking awkward, so. (laughs) You you, you get it. It's, we get to the point, here's an example. You get to the point of, of, of give us this day our daily bread. So I would pray, give, us, give, us this, give me this day our daily bread. And then I would pray, and, and a couple wise people have shown me this passage in Psalms. Psalm 139. Search me, O Lord. Show me my anxiousness. And that's where we listen. Lord, show me my anxiety. Show me where I'm anxious. What are my anxious thoughts? And then I sit there in quiet. Oh, maybe that's why I snapped it, Noah. Wow, I am so scared about my mom. One of the ways that I've grown in trust is I am honest before the Lord and I listen to him. Lord, show me where I'm anxious. And the funny thing about asking our father is that he's going to give us an answer. And quickly I get an answer. And then it goes from being this rote little prayer to real trust. Improvisation helps me to become more vulnerable. And vulnerability, ask Brene Brown, vulnerability builds trust. First way I would say is to improvise on the prayer. The second way that I've learned to build trust is to lean into your friends. Now, I know most of you in here, and I know most of you have good friends. Here's why we need our friends. We need our friends because we forget quickly. The things that I prayed literally in December of 2021, I've already forgotten that the Lord gave me an answer. I already forgot. So here's where my friends come in. My friends come in, I'm going to name him. I wasn't going to name him, but can I see you on TV? So I'm going to name you. So Ken Brown and I 
have a sweet friendship. We have since I came, since I started working, he was my first volunteer as a pastor. I love that man. So he and I walk weekly around our neighborhood, around his neighborhood. And here's what I've realized, is that as I confess my anxiety, what my daily bread is to Ken Brown, as he's done it to me about Bonnie, as we walk around his neighborhood, I am reminded of all of the ways in which God answered my prayers. Ken will say gently, Eric, do you remember? Do you remember that the Lord answered your prayer about this? Or I will say as something is coming up, a complexity about Bonnie's health, I will remind him, Ken, she's alive. We didn't think she was going to be alive. And he forgets and I forget, and together we remind one another. My best friend, my best friend has a special needs son. His name is Paul. Paul is my son. His son's name is Jeremiah. And that makes family life, when you have an autistic, a highly autistic son, it makes family life very, very complicated. And in our conversations, we talk two or three times a week, I am able to remind him of God's goodness in providing for last year, in providing for a new therapist, in providing for a fantastic speech therapist who happens to go to this church. And in turn, he reminds me, Eric, you were so anxious about where Caleb was going to go to college, and yet he, God provided for you. I don't know about you, but I have a short-term memory problem. I just forget. And I need my friends to remind me of how the Lord has provided incredible mercies to me. They often don't look like I asked. Sometimes they do. My mom's in remission. I ask explicitly for that request. But often they look very different. Caleb is not going to the college we thought he would go to. But the Lord has taken care of him, provided a Christian community for him. The Lord is being exceptionally generous to us. As my friend, as Ken Brown or my friend Paul remind me, I gain more trust. They gain more trust. I grow in trust. And another day I say, give me this day my daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. So I grow in trust by improvising. I grow in trust by trusting my friends. The question I want to leave you with, and Brandon's going to come up this time. Again, Brandon, I'm sorry about that false cue. My, my question for you is this. It's very plain, and for all of you it's different. What is your daily bread right now? Is it on this side? Are you struggling with something that's very real and you don't know how the Lord's going to handle it? Or are you actually, if you were to sit, you actually are more over here. Actually, it's my self-sufficiency. I know somewhere down deep there's something that I need help with. Is it an I got it or I don't got it prayer? Here's what I want to do as we finish. And Brandon's going to lead us in just a second, but I want to actually pray for you. I want to pray for us. And I want to improvise based on a few things that I know in this congregation. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to put your hands out like this, and I want to pray for the grace community. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Abba, Father, thank you that we can trust you. We do trust you, and yet we don't trust you. We want our lives, our family, our friends, our world. We want Grace Long Beach to be invaded by the goodness that is marked by your kingdom, your righteousness. We want forgiveness to be normative on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, some of the brothers and sisters in this space and some of those that are at home watching, some of who are outside, are lonely. Be with them in their loneliness. Others are in grief, grief that has come recently or grief that has been longstanding and painful. Be with the family members that I know deeply here in this church who have lost loved ones. Be with them in their long loneliness. Some of us, Father, are addicts. We trust you today, yet we don't trust you. Give us the strength to admit that we're powerless on our own. Lord, others of us are afraid. We're sick and we haven't told anybody. Or we have a loved one who's not doing well. And Father, the honest confession is that our daily bread prayer is that we would have enough to care for them without snapping at them. Others of us were grieving. Somebody recently has passed away. Or we're grieving a relationship, or we're grieving the fact that our job hasn't worked out, or we're grieving the fact that friends have left the church, or we're grieving the fact that things are hard right now and we don't know what to do. Be with us in our lamentation. And Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us for the things that we think we have under control. Or like the writer in the Psalms, we, we are fearful of not needing you. Lord, we believe, help, us, help our unbelief. We trust, help our moments where we don't trust. Give us the courage to trust you a little bit more today. And all of God's people said, amen. In a moment, we're going to continue our worship um, by celebrating communion. And kids, as you guys come forward for communion today, um, we want to remind you of three things. The first of which is that Jesus invites you to this table. The second is that you are part of God's family. And lastly, we want you to remember what's true about you. So did you guys get little cards in your blessing bags this morning? You guys get those little cards in your blessing bags? Yeah, sweet. So on that card, it says, you know, so-and-so, you are invited to the Lord.